I was at the gas station the other day. I was in there buying some Mike and Ikes, the best candy on the face of the earth. Second, our Haribo gummy bears. If you don't know, now you do. But I was in their line, I was in the line getting ready to buy my Mike and Ikes. And what happens is a lady kind of rushes in, bypasses the whole line, runs right up to the cashier and begins to say, is this going to charge my card? Is this going to charge my card? I just, I just swiped my card at the pump and then I saw the sign. The sign says, the pumps are off. And the guy's like, ma'am, it's not going to charge your card. Are you sure? Ma'am, the pumps are off. The pumps are off. That's why this, they all had the sign on and said the pumps are off. So we've been trying to avoid that all day long that people wouldn't have to do this. So she's like, you sure? So she walks out and she's still not happy. She's still not happy. And the cashier kind of looks to all of us, all the people in line, just to try to get kind of an, an amen, to, to try to make sense of everything. He's just like, like all day long, people have been coming in here, swiping their cards, and on the pumps are signs that say the pumps are off. He was hoping that the sign, this clear sign, would yield the proper response. And I feel like in so many ways, that's where we are in this series on the miracles of Jesus. These miracles were never, ever supposed to be the point in of themselves. They were to be these flashing neon lights on and off with an arrow pointing to the point of the miracle. And it was the one that was performing the miracles. It was Jesus. And the whole time what, what these miracles are substantiating, what these miracles are trying to prove, what these miracles are trying to show is this reality, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one we've been waiting on. The reason why Jesus can do God things is because he's God. Every time they're asking the question, who is this man? Who is the one? Who? Only God can forgive sins, right? And Jesus is saying, that's right. That's what I'm trying, that's what it's pointing to. I am he. Well, we're going to continue this morning in a well-known, well-known miracle. This miracle is the only miracle mentioned that Jesus performs in all four of the Gospels. All right? And it's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's something like when you hear that, there's, there's this magnificent thing happening with this miracle, not only what Jesus is trying to teach, but also I feel like there's something instructive here, that in it, it's giving us a pattern, a pattern of ministry that we all could follow. It's on all four gospels, but we're gonna look at Luke's account this morning. So if you have a Bible, make your way to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, we'll be looking at verses 10 through 17, and we'll be pulling in on some other verses from the other gospels so that we kind of get this, this story in stereo this morning. Luke chapter nine, 
Now, we, we pick this up. The context here is, is that the disciples are returning because Jesus had sent them out. He had sent them out. We see this in chapter 9 that he sent the 12. He, he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, go figure. They've been walking with Jesus for about two years up to this point. And and he, he sent them out. He gave them power. He gave them the authority to do exactly what they have seen him do. They are going to model what he has modeled. So he's, they're coming back now. They're coming back. They've been on a journey. And we pick it up in verse 10 here in Luke chapter 9. And this is how it reads. It says, on their return, the apostles told him that of all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Again, again, modeling for them what they had just done. Now, the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Well, Jesus and the disciples have a plan, right? They have a plan. They're getting back from a journey Jesus thinks this, this is a good time for some R&R. Let's, let's, let's rest, let's relax a little bit. Let's get away from the frenzy of the crowds. Mark shows us in his account that, that he said, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They don't have time to, to even care for themselves, to eat, to get, a, to get something in their stomachs because they're, they're ministering so much. So Jesus is saying, let's get away and let's go to a desolate place. Let's go to the middle of nowhere. Let's go somewhere where there are not any people. That was the goal of the retreat. That was their plan. The crowds had a different plan. The crowds hear about it. They hear about it. They jump on their boats. They jump on their boats. They're so eager that they beat them. They beat them to the place that they're going. Now, I want you to imagine this for a second. You think that you're getting away. You think that you're going you're gonna to have a chance to get a little, little vacation in, right? And you show up to the place where no one would be, and everyone's there. You're trying to go on vacation from work. You check into the hotel and everybody that works in your office is there. <laughs> right? Like it's, this is not the retreat that they had in mind. So they're just trying to withdraw and the people have 
a different ideal. And so how do you respond to this? How do you respond to this? Tired. You don't have time to, to eat. You're, you're well-deserving. You're well, it means well-deserved rest that you're looking for. How do you respond? Well, Luke tells us that he welcomed them. Jesus welcomes them. Now, the drive of this word, he welcomes them, is one of hospitality. It's, it's a word that you would use as a host. I want you to think about this. The crowd, they're saying about 5,000 men back then. Of course, you've, you've heard that they only were counting the men. They didn't count women. They didn't count children at this time. So, I mean, there could be conservatively, conservatively, like 12,000, 15,000. It could be as many as, or, or as much as to over 20,000. The point is this, there's a lot of people there, a lot of folks. And he says, come on in. But Jesus, we were trying to get away. No, come on in. Come on in. You know what he begins to do? Begins to teach and begins to heal. What's the driver? What allows Jesus to get over the fatigue, the hunger, because he is fully God and he's fully man? What gives him the capacity to do that? What motivates him? What moves him to the thing that he's trying to get away from? The crowd. What moves him? Well, we don't have to guess. Matthew and Mark let us know here. He says, in Matthew, he says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. They're already there. And he had compassion on them. He had compassion. Why did you have compassion, Jesus? What, what, what do you see? that we don't see. Well, in Mark, he says, he went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, lost people, misguided people, hurting people, that bothers Jesus. It bugs him. Now, some of you all, you think, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that, that bug us, right? There's a lot of thing that, things that bother us. And we say that things bother us, but when things bother you, you respond, you act. Compassion moves you to people. It moves you towards people. Compassion makes you close the gap. Compassion, it's a word of, of identification. Even in our modern uses, usage of the word compassion, our, our word literally means to suffer together to suffer with. See, this, to show compassion, you, ha you have to begin to feel deeply what other people are feeling. And Jesus does. He identifies. So even in this, he's still teaching the disciples. He's still trying to show them the way. This is what the heart of God looks like. You know, we, we're all ready to say, we're all ready to say that, uh, you know, hey, Everything happens for a reason until we're interrupted. <laughs> we're all like, man, God's got a plan. He's working his plan. It, man, like, like everything happens for a reason until the interruption happens. And somehow that falls out of 
our thoughts on, could God be using this? And I've said this before, and I want you to just think about this. You, you read through the Gospels. Read through the Gospels. And I want you to just take away every moment in the Gospels that Jesus is interrupted. Take it away. Take it away. I'm telling you right now, you're going to eliminate a lot of Jesus' ministry. Because his ministry was almost based on people always coming up to him, interrupting him. And this was his heart. Come on in, boys. Come on in, girls. He welcomes them. He has compassion. Just keep in mind, just a note, that the interruptions in your life may not be veering you off of God's plan. It could be very well the thing God is using to keep you on it, keep you in it. It's not knocking you off the path. It's keeping you on it. That's why your kids always get sick at the best times, don't they? <laughs> at the most convenient time. This is a great time to get. Like, no, it's always inconvenient. Why? Because we need to work on compassion. We need to work on compassion. My wife struggles with migraines, struggles with them. And she always gets them at the best times, right? No. Why? Why? Because this guy needs to work on compassion. That's why. So mind the interruptions that happen in your life. So Jesus is playing host and, and the day begins to kind of wear away. And the disciples, they're like, okay, hey, the, the day is, verse 12, it says, now, the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, hey, send the crowd away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions because we're in the middle of nowhere. So the disciples are, they're going to get, they're going to do the crowd a solid, right? They're looking out for the crowd now. It's late. It's late. Hey, Jesus, let's do them a favor. We've, hey, we've preached, we've healed. It's been a good day. It's time for them to be on their way. It's time to be on their way so that they can have enough time to get back to where they need to go, where there is lodging and where there are provisions because there ain't nothing around here, Jesus. All right? And then I love this. You know, we always talk about that word, but, right? But. And it always pivots. Something's going to happen here. So speaking of interruptions, the the. The disciples had an idea of how the day was going to go. They're done. Jesus isn't. The master teacher is not finished. He's not done showing them an important lesson on what they need to learn. Verse 13 says, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. I want, I want you just to think about, I want you to just jump in the sandals of one of these disciples. And I want you to think about Jesus looking you dead in your eyeball, you looking at the vast crowd in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus without batting an eye looks at you and says, you give them something to eat. What's going on on your insides right now? If you, you're perplexed, you're looking at Jesus and you're thinking, is he serious? Can you be serious? So what happens is that he's showing them, you have a responsibility here. Your, your job's not finished. You have a responsibility here. But 
look, what, how do they respond? What do they, what do, they do? They, 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 they show up and they, they look in there. They're, they're thinking about all of the, the limitations that they have, how, how they're not able to do this. And listen, Jesus had a plan all along, right? He's never going into a situation where he's not 500 million years in front of you. He has a plan. John lets us in on it. Because when they were getting there, he had already broached the topic about feeding them. So he says to Philip, in, from John's account, he says, he says uh, hey, Jesus said to Philip, hey, where, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he knew himself what he would do. Going to test you guys. Philip should have been like, guys, hey, he's... Man, he, Jesus, he just did it again. What do you do? You know how he asks those questions and you know he's going to do something and you feel like you, need, you should know the answer? And I don't know the answer, though. Like, so, hey, guys, be on high alert. Something's going down. Something's going down. So he says, you're responsible. They respond with this. You know what they respond with? Inventory. They respond with Inventory. They take an inventory, and this is what they're doing. They're giving an inventory, and they want Jesus to know, Jesus, we hear your command. We hear your command, but we want you to know that we've taken an inventory, and we have five loaves and two fish. We are exempt. We are exempt of the command. We don't have enough. As if Jesus... The omniscient, the all-knowing son of God walking in flesh, his response would be like, guys, <laughs> this one's on me. My bad. My bad. I should have known that we were in the middle of nowhere with no food before I had uttered anything and had, and had the audacity to tell you to do something that was impossible. But the disciples don't see that that's exactly the point. He's asking them to do something impossible. He's asking them to do the impossible. The disciples make excuses because they have their eyes on the crowd and they see themselves as the solution. You want a surefire way to start making excuses to, to the things that God tells you to do, what he commands us to do? If you want a surefire way to start making excuses, when Jesus says do something, look at the circumstances and look at yourself. And you will always find your place, yourself in a place where you're ready to make excuses as to why you can't obey Jesus. We, have a, we come from a, a line of excuses. Things go down. Adam says, it's this woman you gave me. Eve says, that serpent... Moses is saying, hey, I don't talk so well. Gideon's like, uh, mine ain't, I ain't the family you want to send. I'm not a part of the strongest ones. I ain't no warrior. Warrior, don't, don't, don't send me. It's like we're always making excuses as if, as if God, God doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. So God has given them a task that is impossible to achieve and that is the point. He wants them to trust him. Lean in, trust him. He's not asking them to do something for him. He's inviting them to be part of something he wants to do through them. Let me say that again. He's not asking them to do something for him. 
He's inviting them to be part of something that he wants to do through them. He knows the circumstances. He knows the situation. And the disciples, all, can, all they can see is the immense crowd. All these people. All these people. But they, in looking at the crowd, they, they lose and they completely dismiss the immense power that's at their disposal because Jesus is standing right there with them. They miss it. Eyes on the crowd, not on their Christ. Now, we're not so different. We can use our limitations and our inadequacies to excuse ourselves from obedience to Jesus. We're not exempt from that. I'm getting older. I used to be able to do that. I'm too young. When I have kids, if I had more talent, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. That's come out of all of us at some point in time. What is, what is, what excuse are you using today? If I had that conversation, man, it could mess up our relationship. Man, if I lean into that, I don't want to. And we just start excusing and excusing and excusing and we use our wisdom. And the next thing you know, we're not obeying at all. We're waiting, we're waiting on a good time that never comes to obey Jesus. And the disciples found themselves here. But guess what? God's good. Jesus is gracious. They get a second try here. They go to round two. And Jesus says, okay, I told you to give him something to eat. You gave me excuses. Let's try this again. Sit him down in groups of 50. Okay? And the, the disciples, they catch on. And what do they do? They do it. Disciples obey. Now, again, remember, I told you that Jesus is playing host. He says, hey, sit them down. The language there is, is like reclining at a table language. It's banquet language. Jesus is out here in the middle of the field. He's hosting something. And when you have a banquet and when you want people to recline at table, there's something that's going to be necessary, and it's called food. You need food for all these people. And Jesus is just what the doctor ordered here. He is going to do his miracle. He's going to accomplish this thing through the disciples. So he says, hey, sit them down in groups of 50. Now, I, I still feel a little bit for the disciples. I feel it for them a little bit because they're obeying and they don't have a clue about what's going to go down. And I want you to think about something. You're going to walk out into a sea of people, 15,000 folks. You're going to walk out there and you're going to say, hey, 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 um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, forty-nine, fifty. Hey, you all over here, you all right here, fifty. Hey, fifty. Hey, hey, make some space. Separate yourselves. 50, 50, can we stay in groups of 100? We really like each other. Okay, all right, you can stay in groups of 100, all right? Can we do 30 or 20? No, he said groups of 50. Let's go. What are we doing? 
Why are we doing this? What do you got? What do you got? Because Jesus told us to. That's all you have. And look, let's just say, let's just be, let's just say we're on the high end of this and they actually know he's going to do the miracle. Let's just, let's just, let's just kick it around. They actually know they're going to eat. Why are you putting us in groups of 50? We're about to eat. Really? Really? It's not so much not only where we are, look at how many people there are. And you have 12 people going out into a, sea of, into a sea of people separating them. As far as I'm concerned, the fact that 12 guys got that crowd into groups and organized is the miracle. <laughs> That's the miracle. It could have stopped there and that would have been enough. And I would have been all praise and glory to God. Like that was amazing. But he has more for them. And I don't, know how, I don't know how they're doing it, but they went out there and they did it. And I want you to understand that there are times when obedience precedes understanding. You don't need to know everything. I don't need to know everything. God doesn't owe us explanations. It's almost like our, our kids, my kids. We get up and it's like, hey guys, put your shoes on. Get, hey, put your shoes on, get in the van. Where are we going? What, what does that have to do with, you, are you driving? Like, why do you need to know where we're going? You don't drive. You have enough information to act on. Grab your shoes, get in the van. Once we get in there, I might throw you a bone and tell you where we're going. But right now, that's all you need to do. Like, like, you don't, are you waiting for more data to make it okay to, okay, all right, oh, this is where we're going? I approve, Father. Let me go get my shoes on. <laughs> no. You don't need to know. What you need to know, you know. Shoes, get in the van. Listen, put them in groups of 50. That's what you need to know. Be obedient. And they go out and they do it. I don't know how they do it. I don't know if they're hangry when they're doing it. I don't know. I don't know what, what's going on or what, what, what the posture of these disciples are, but they do it. But how does it happen? How does this miracle happen? And this is the part of it that I love. Because this, this has to be like the longest miracle ever too. Because the scriptures say that, that he, he took the food, he took the loaves, he took the fish, he, he looked up to the Father, he gave thanks, and he, he did this, this miracle. He, he multiplied, he did something. And it doesn't appear to be that he, he gives thanks and, and like the, the earth begins to shake and up out of the ground, a Publix comes up and he's like, hey guys, <laughs> go get them boys. No, like he, this is for the disciples. And he does this miracle. And what does he say? He begins to give them to the 12 to set before the crowds. So he gives them and he gives them and they begin to go and they drop it off to the groups that they just separated and organized. And they come back to Jesus and Jesus still has some loaves and some fish. And they grab more and they continue to go out. 
and they come back. Now, I bet you maybe first off when they were doing this, they, it was a little, they were a little skeptical maybe. That maybe when they made their way down that grassy hill again, they get to Jesus and they're like, oh, okay, okay. You got more, okay, all right. I'm watching you, Jesus, I'm watching you. I don't know what you're doing. And they come back down the hill and it's just like, oh, snap. He, it's just continual. It doesn't run out. It doesn't run out. I wonder if it even made him more and more eager to be faithful with what Jesus gave him. To be more eager to know that when they came back, came back to Jesus, there would be more. That they could have all the confidence that they could take every single thing that Jesus gave them and they could have open hands and they could give it to them. Open hands. I don't have to hold on to any of this, even though I haven't eaten either. I don't have to hold on to any of this because when I go back down the hill, master will have more. He will not run out. And the story shows that he doesn't run out. It's not that he just doesn't run out. He, he has leftovers. Twelve basketfuls of leftovers. Now, there's no doubt who does the miracle. It's called, it's called the feeding of the 5,000. Who performs the miracles? Jesus performs the miracle. But this is the awesome part about it. Who gets to carry it out? Who gets to carry out this miracle? The disciples. Remember, Jesus isn't asking you to do something for him. He's inviting you to be part of something that he wants to do through you. Amen. It's an invitation to be part of something that he is doing and that he alone can do. We're just willful and obedient participants. And he, he feeds the crowd through him. He makes it happen. They're faithful with what Jesus gives them. And they give it to other people and they begin to continue come back, coming back to the source. So the story it began with the disciples thinking that they don't have enough and it ended with them having more than enough. Jesus is more than enough to accomplish what he commands. So if you're looking to add to Jesus to do what he's asking you to do, you don't need to do that. He's enough. He is enough for you to accomplish what he has commanded you to do, more than enough. You have Jesus who's walking with you, who's instructing you, just like these disciples. Today, he's walking with you. And he wants to use your life to do that. You do realize that Jesus is still asking us to do crazy stuff, right? Let me, let me share one with you in closing here that we often don't think, it won't hit us, it won't hit our ears the same as the feeding of the 5,000. But I want to assure you that it is, it's quite the thing to ask of a person to do. And this is what it says. Go and make disciples of all nations. Say what? 
make a disciple, make a follower of Jesus. Hold on, you, you've told me that you're the one that turns hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. You're the one that causes people to be born again. I can't make someone born again. I can't change somebody's heart. And you want me to go out there and do that. Not only do you want me to do that, I guess you're just gonna throw it in there for fun. Could you go do that with people who don't even talk your language? They don't even speak the same language you speak. They don't even share the same culture you share. And you think that raising support is the biggest hurdle for missions. Go and make disciples of all nations? How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you how you do that. You're faithful with what Jesus has given you, and it's called the gospel. It's called the gospel. That's the means. That's the means in which hearts are changed, lives are changed, life, life is given. It's through the message that we speak and that is housed and that resides in the believer. The gospel. So look, that's, that's crazy. Go and make disciples of all nations. But it's still true for us. Jesus is more than enough to accomplish what he commands. That's why you can take what Jesus, you can take loaves of fish, I mean loaves of bread and fish, and you can go out into the crowd with confidence. And you know what? You can go across the ocean with the gospel with confidence. You can go right across the street with confidence because you have the gospel. And Jesus will give you enough. Now, remember, I told you that the point of all this is a neon sign pointing to who Jesus is. He wants people to know who he is. And John, he just spells this out for us. He spells it out for us, and he, he, just, he tells us that um, at the end, on the next day, all those people who had, who had just been fed loaves and had been fed by Jesus and the disciples, they find, they find Jesus again. And Jesus is having to tell them, hey, you're coming to me because you got your fill on some loaves, that you got to eat some bread. But listen, I want to help raise your sights. I want, you to help, I want to help you read the sign. I want to help you read the sign. Stop chasing bread that spoils. Stop chasing bread that perishes. Stop, stop chasing that bread. And this is what they say in John chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what, they, they're like, what must we do to be doing the works of God then? Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave bread from heaven. It was my father. My father gave you that bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. Give us that bread. And you know what he says? I am the bread. I'm the bread. 
Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Does that sound like they all ate and were satisfied? Jesus is enough. He's enough. So if you're in a room today and you've been walking with Jesus and Jesus has been walking with you, I want to encourage you, be faithful. Be faithful with the things he has put in your hands. Go give that to other people. Feel the freedom to give it, to know that your Father in heaven provides for you in abundance. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, in this room or or you're joining us online, the age-old principle is you can't give away something that you don't have. So maybe your first step this morning before you go make disciples, would you become one this morning? Would you, would you become a follower of Jesus? Would you, would you partake of this bread knowing that he can satisfy every part of your life? And that this miracle is pointing to a much greater feeding and is satisfying a much deeper hunger. Satisfies the hunger and the longing of the soul. You were made for God and Jesus came to bring you back to him. He's the bread of life. Turn to him, eat of him, and you'll be satisfied.